Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1. Stand fast therein, or sorry, stand fast therefore, in the liberty where the Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For if I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you, though. So I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offence of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But... If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, of such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, 
that they which do such things shall not inherit it, the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh of the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. And may the Lord bless the public reading of his holy word. In the epistle to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul is defending and proclaiming justification by grace alone through faith alone. How is a sinner right before God? It is not by our works. It is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ's righteousness received by faith alone. And from this glorious doctrine of salvation flows wonderful blessings, such as the presence, fellowship, and power, and gift of the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter 5, he answers an assumed question. If salvation is completely and utterly free without works, does it matter then how we live? And in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, it does matter how we lived. Simply because justification is a free gift without works does not mean you can live your life as free as you please. Or to use Romans 6 language, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But the reality is this, all who are justified as a free gift received by faith, they will live a godly and holy life. And in verses 22 to 23, he summarizes what does this Christian life look like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This is the life of everyone who is justified by faith. This is the life of everyone who has the Holy Spirit. This evening, I want to begin a new sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. I've been thinking about the fruit of the Spirit for over a year now. It's been mulling away in the back of my mind. It has been some time, I believe, since we've had a series directly on practical Christianity. And as we are uh, free from any series in the evenings right now, I believe providentially 
This is the sermon series for us today. And so, over ten sermons, one sermon will be an introduction, and then one sermon per fruit, we will come to understand and know what does it mean for a Christian to live in godliness? What is the fruit of the Spirit, and how are we to live this out in our daily lives? And as we're Christians, we need this holiness in every aspect of life. Um, As Christians, we must live like this as husband and wife, uh, parents and children, children and parents, as students, as workers. Every aspect of our life, no matter our calling, should be shaped and fashioned by the fruit of the Spirit. And when the world, which lives only according to the works of the flesh, see the fruit of the Spirit, it should be a powerful witness to one and all. So this evening, let us begin a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. What I want to do tonight is simply look at, one, the theological background, and two, five principles of Christian experience. So this is very much simply an introduction to the fruit of the Spirit before next week beginning with love. So first of all, let us consider the theological background of the fruit of the Spirit. Augustine once famously said of the Gospel according to John that The gospel according to John was simple enough for a child to wade in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. The same could be said about the fruit of the Spirit. In its childlike simplicity, it's easy to understand. The Holy Spirit enables every believer to live in godliness and abound in fruit, love, joy, peace, etc. It's very simple. That's what it means. However, when you study and meditate the biblical and theological background that undergirds the fruit of the Spirit, we will see depths and riches that should encourage our souls. And often a deeper reflection comes about by asking simple questions. Why is it the fruit of the Spirit and not the work of the Spirit here? Because it's the work of the flesh. Why is it fruit singular and not the fruits plural of the Spirit? And why is it the fruit of the Spirit? These three questions, very basic. And if we were simply to meditate on these three questions, deeper understanding of the text will arise. So by coming to the biblical and theological background, we'll answer these three questions, but we'll also see the depths and the glory of the truth. And what I want to focus your attention on this is the person. Who is the 
person producing this fruit. It's the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, or the Spirit's fruit. The Spirit here is speaking of the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very, very significant. Because if we're biblically minded, every time we think of one person of the Godhead, our minds should automatically think about the other persons of the Godhead. For example, turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. And this is by no means something out of the blue. You can read Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 8, again and again and again this comes out. But Galatians 4, 4 to 6. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Who saved us? The triune God. And when you see one person, your mind should automatically go to the other persons. Think of the source of salvation. From whom does it flow? It's all from God the Father. God the Father is never sent. But it says here that God sends the Son and sends the Spirit. So if you think of the Son or the Spirit, you must think of the Father who sent the Son and the Spirit. Think of the relations of the persons. It doesn't just say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one. That's not sufficiently biblical Trinitarian thinking. Sufficient biblical Trinitarian thinking is not merely one God, three persons, but one God, three persons as they relate one to another. Here it doesn't just say son, but look at the relation, his son. How can you not think of the son without thinking of his father? Or the Holy Spirit, we should never generically think about God the Holy Spirit. But it says here that God the Spirit is from the Father, because he's sent forth. And in verse 6, he is the Spirit of his Son. So when you think of the Spirit, he's from the Father and he's from the Son. Who redeems us, who adopts us. Well, God the Father sends the Son to redeem us and atone our sins so that we would return to the Father in reconciliation. God the Father sends the Spirit of his sons into our hearts so the Spirit brings us to the Father, Abba, Father. 
So if you are thinking and reading and studying one person of the Godhead, automatically train yourself. What I am reading here of this person, what does it reveal about the work of the other persons of the Godhead? And if you cultivate and train your mind to think like this, you'll think biblically, you'll think like Paul, and you will think in a Trinitarian manner. Now bringing all this truth together, the fruit of the Spirit. How can we be fruit-bearing Christians? It starts with God the Father. God the Father sends the Spirit of His sons into our hearts who bears the fruit. So it always begins with God the Father. And Paul makes us crystal clear in Ephesians chapter 1. In verses 3 to 5, he says, God the Father is the source of fruit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places. Accordingly, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. So fruit simply means holiness. Fruit simply means spiritual blessings in our lives. And it comes from God the Father. And so it's God the Father's will that all his adopted children would abound with fruit. And when you read the Old Testament passages, it shows how wonderful and glorious this promise is. For example, Jeremiah 23.3 I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them again to the folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. That's the Father's will for his children. Or Psalm 1 verse 3. The blessed man or woman, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season and his leaf shall also not wither. And wherever he shall go, he shall prosper. Or Psalm 92 14. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. That's God the Father's will for your life. And he's going to make sure that is your life. Now how does he do that? God the Son. Because in Ephesians 1, it is in Christ the Father's spiritual blessings are given. It is in Christ we're chosen to be holy and blameless in love. Why is it fruit and not works? A work is something you do out of your own ability. Fruit cannot produce fruit in and of itself. It doesn't have the life or power. Fruit must be connected to a vine or to a tree. And the vine or the tree is the life and the power 
that produces the fruit. This is why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And John chapter 15 verse 1 and 5 is classic. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, the gardener. So God the Father is the gardener. And he's coming to you, believer, and he's going to make sure you grow in fruitfulness. And he's going to do that by connecting you to his son, who is the life-giving vine. And then verse 5, it says, Jesus speaking, of course, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So God the Father's going to connect you to his Son, and his Son's life and power is going to go to your life, and you're going to bear much fruit. Why is it fruit and not fruits plural? Because it's Christ in you. Christ Jesus himself is the fruit of the Spirit. When you read the four Gospels and you see Christ, what is his godliness and holiness? His godliness and holiness is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And so when you're in Christ, Christ is in you. And when Christ is in you, love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. Now, if God the Father is the gardener, promising us to abound in fruit, and it's going to be united to the vine for the life and the power to produce that fruit, how are we connected now to that vine? The Holy Spirit. When you read of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, His work is to connect you to the Father and connect you to the Son. John 16. I will send the Spirit of truth, and when he comes, he will not glorify himself, he will take what is mine, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. And he will manifest it to you, so it's in us. Or take the benediction, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The love of God the Father, the source, the one who's promising and producing. The grace of Jesus Christ, the mediator through whom all these things come true. Now what's the connecting? Through the communion, fellowship, participation, sharing of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit takes what's Christ's, unites you to him by faith, and produces Christ in you, and your life will be filled with the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. George Smeaton, a 19th century commentator, as to the union in reference to which it is said by the Apostle, 1 Corinthians 6.17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 
the results that immediately flow from it are so extensive and so powerful for the supply of the covenant blessings that Christ's spirit becomes theirs. His holiness, their holiness. His joy, their joy, etc. Such is the spirit's efficacy that there is not one thought, feeling, or emotion pervading the human bosom of the man Christ Jesus amid the glories of the upper sanctuary, but may be said to be renewed and reproduced in the experience of his people. Perfectly in the bliss above, incipiently in their present dwelling place below. And now we understand the background to the fruit of the Spirit. Brother and sister in Jesus Christ, God the Trinity himself is giving you the life and power to be abundant in fruitfulness. God the Father has specifically in love chosen you and promised you will abound. You are the trees of the Lord. He is connecting you as the gardener to the vine, the Son of God, Christ Jesus. All his life and power and love, joy, peace is connected to you now by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit within you is now enabling, moving you and producing in your own life love, joy, long-suffering, etc., etc. Does that not just fill you with comfort and hope? Who are you in Christ? You're a fruit-bearing tree. Almighty, adorable Trinity God is doing that in you because he loves you. Be encouraged by that. Be strengthened in that. And grasp it with all your faith. But secondly, we have the Christian experience of bearing fruit. And you can have more principles than I'm about to give you, but I glean from this chapter five principles needed for us to bear fruit in our lives. The first principle is we bear fruit in Christian freedom. The context of this chapter is verse 1. And verse 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty or freedom wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So if you're a Christian, you're not in bondage anymore. You're not in slavery anymore. So don't think like a slave. Don't act like a slave. Don't feel like a slave. Feel like a man or woman set free in Jesus Christ. The yoke of bondage here is twofold. One, you can see it as the ceremonial law, circumcision. You do not need to keep the ceremonial law in order to be righteous because Christ Jesus has fulfilled that. 
But it actually is bigger than that. It's speaking about the whole law. And that if you are under the law, you are obligated, this is what verses 2 and following are saying, you are obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 3, For I testify that every man that is circumcised, that's keeping the law, he is a debtor to do the whole law. And if you're under the law, and you're trying to do the whole law, there's nothing but bondage. The law says perfectly and sinlessly do or die. None of us in this life can perfectly or sinlessly do. Misery and bondage. Love? How can I love and show love? I see sin and failure and weakness in my love. Bondage. Joy? I see weakness, uh, uh, weakness and failure and sin. Uh, I can't be joyful. Misery. And apply that to every fruit of the Spirit. But that's not the Christian. The Christian's not in the yoke of bondage. Christian liberty set free. As he says in Galatians chapter 2, Verse 19, I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Or another way of putting it, I am under grace, not the law. Under the law means you're required to keep all the law and the law as a covenant of works condemns you. Under grace means you're not under the requirements of keeping the law for justification, but God in his covenant of grace has freely pardoned you. And therefore, when you sin, though it's still sinning to be confessed, the law doesn't condemn you, it condemns Christ instead. And so the law remains a rule of living for God in holiness, but it's a rule for living in holiness, not a law that's a covenant of works that condemns. Therefore, freedom. Freedom and liberty. Love. I need to grow more in love. I need to kill certain sins that are refraining me from being more loving. But I do love joy. I need to be more joyful. I need to be the source of joy for more people. But I do see joy. See how it helps you in liberty. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20, section 1 I'd recommend you read it all in your own time. Just wonderful truth here. But let me just read a selection for you. The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world. Bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God, their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. If you have the feeling of being under the law, you will seek to bear the fruit of the Spirit in slavish fear, and it will only lead you to misery. But if you understand you're standing in Christ, you will bear fruit in liberty with a childlike love 
and willing mind. So when you're going to bear fruit and listen to this series over the next 10 sermons, remember who you are in Christ. Liberty, it will give you freedom. Second principle, the duty of bearing fruit. In verse 16, it's demonstrating the difference between how we're not to live and to live. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk is simply metaphoric for how you live, your conduct, your behaviour. What path are you walking on? Spirit, it's the Spirit's enabling, governing, directing His will, as revealed in the Bible. Lust, desire, inclinations, purposes, flesh, sinful human nature. Walk here is in the imperative mood. It's a command. That means bearing fruit is not optional for the Christian life. It's imperative. Bearing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance, we are to have them and grow in them. Today, there is such an emphasis on grace that it can go to the extreme. We so emphasize union with Christ, objectively, there's the neglect of human responsibility. And sometimes people intentionally and unintentionally make out sanctification to be passive, where you're simply waiting for the work to be done and you're not doing it yourself. We emphasise, as the whole first heading did, the objective, marvellous work of grace in our lives, Father, Son and Spirit. But that enforces, does not exclude, obedience and duty. Sanctification in the Bible is active. That's why the language is walk. You can sit down or stand up all you want. You're not walking until you move those legs. John chapter 6, an epistle, it uses the language of labour, strive, agonise. It is violence whereby heaven is taken by storm. It's activity, duty, putting on and putting off, mortifying. So bearing fruit is not an option It is absolutely necessary. Empowered and enabled by Christ, put through the Spirit, but still human responsibility. So that's why we take love, joy, peace, and we say consciously, actively, I want to have this and I want to grow in it. And this helps us to show the difference between light and darkness. Because 
the natural man will not have the fruit of the Spirit. The natural man can have a natural love, a natural joy, and a natural peace, but will not have the spiritual love and spiritual joy and spiritual peace. And the natural man's life will be characterized by the works of the flesh. But the spiritual man and woman will be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. So here we're speaking of duty that's expected of every true Christian who abides in that vine. And abiding in that vine will produce much fruit. So hopefully we have the balance here. The objective and the subjective. Third principle. Conflict. Bearing fruit is not easy. After saying walk in, the flesh, walk in the spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Paul says, let me tell you about the conflict. Verse 17. For because the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Christians are delivered from the dominion of the flesh but we're not delivered from the flesh absolutely. There's an inner conflict between the sin that still resides in every faculty and influences every faculty and the indwelling spirit who influences every faculty of the soul. The flesh is contrary to the Spirit, opposed, hostile. The flesh wants to resist the Holy Spirit, fight against the Holy Spirit, and do what it desires. So think about your thinking. How do you think? Do not think like this. I'm a believer, therefore I only think spiritually and in the will of God. You have the flesh who wants to convince you the best thing to do is what the flesh desires. Therefore, think like this. Think about your affections and your emotions. The flesh wants your emotions to do what pleases your flesh. And wants the Spirit's influence on your emotions to be strangled out so you quench and resist the Holy Spirit. Think about your will, your desire, your doing. The flesh wants you to do what pleases the flesh and do something against the will of God by the Spirit. And so every true believer in Christ has an inner battle, an inner war. Flesh, should I think, feel and do what I like? Or will I think, feel, and do the will of God by the Holy Spirit? And so therefore there is a real, ongoing, daily war and battle. But a case of conscience comes here. If Christians have indwelling sin, the flesh... And sometimes we sin, 
That is, we allow the fleshish thinking, feeling, and doing to actually be active in our lives. Does that mean, therefore, I am not a Christian? William Perkins, in his commentary, asks that question, and I think gives a wonderful, comforting answer. Some man may say, I am vexed and turmoiled with wicked thoughts and desires. So as I fear, I am not of God's child. I'm sure we all have that experience. So how do you know if you're a child of God or not? I answer, for all this, despair not. For if you hate and detest the lusts that are in you, if you resist them and wage battle against them, if being overtaken at any time you recover yourself by new repentance, then they shall be never laid to your charge. For there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's very helpful to me. I am a Christian before I'm a teaching elder. And I, as a Christian, have the Spirit influencing me, but I have my sinful flesh influencing me. And just like every sinner, my thinking and saying and doing is sometimes of the flesh. It's wrong. Am I a Christian or not? Do I hate and detest these things? Do I repent of these things? Do I seek more and more to suppress the flesh and to bear more of the Spirit in my life? I do. I'm a child of God and there is no condemnation for me. And the same for you, brother and sister in Christ. The same for you, brother and sister in Christ. So do not let your war give you lack of assurance. Let your war give you assurance. And the key here is fulfill. Look at verse 16. Fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You fulfill the lusts of the flesh when you live in it wholly and you give your entire life to it without repentance. So if someone's completely given over to the work of the flesh and not repenting, then that's the time to say, am I a child of God or not? But if you do give in to the lusts of the flesh and this hatred, detestation, repentance and desire to growth and evidence of growth, even in that war, it's a mark of assurance. Fourthly, we must be led by the Spirit to bear fruit in the Spirit. Verse uh, 18. But if you be led of the Spirit you're not under the law. Now, when we speak of being led by the Spirit today, it's usually in some charismatic sense, you know, who should I marry? Uh, What kind of job should I have? I need to be led by the Lord. That's not what it's talking about. Being led by the Spirit is the Holy Spirit enabling and influencing and teaching you and you walking according to God's will and not the will of the world. 
That's what it means to be led. And that's why it's in context. Now, if we are going to bear fruit in our lives, we cannot walk according to the flesh. We must walk in the flesh. Sorry, we must walk in the Spirit by being led by the Spirit. How do you do that? First of all, basic, but must be stated, you must have the Spirit. You cannot be led by the Spirit except you have the Spirit. And the Bible teaches that everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, chapter 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So basically, if you don't believe in Christ, you have the Spirit and he will lead you. Why am I emphasizing that? Because theologies of various different ways, Methodists and Charismatics and Pentecostals, will talk about two blessings. And to be truly led and to know the Spirit, you need your second blessing. That's not biblical. If you are someone who has faith in Christ, you are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's not to say you can't grow in the Spirit. Of course you can. But it doesn't mean you need to wait for that second blessing. So if you are in Christ, you have all the ability to produce fruit because you have the indwelling Spirit and He will lead you. Secondly, prayer. To be led by the Spirit is to pray that God, by the Holy Spirit will enable you more and more and more to bear fruit. And here's the encouragement. Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father, who gives the Holy Spirit to them who ask him. So if you ask according to God's will, In the name of Christ, that's a guaranteed prayer. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ by grace purchased it. And if you ask God, give me more and more ability and influence to walk in the Spirit, He will answer that prayer. Third step to being led by the Spirit. You need to know how not to think, how not to speak, and how not to act. What does it mean to walk in the flesh or act in the flesh? Well, Paul gives us examples, doesn't he? Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. So these are things you should not be thinking, should not be speaking, and not be doing. Because if we do these things, no matter what the flesh or the devil does to deceive us, these are sinful and wrong. Let's look at them briefly one by one. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. So any form of sexual immorality, we should not entertain it. We must fight against it, repent against it, and not have it in our lives. Obviously, it's an ongoing battle, remember the conflict, but we don't want that. We don't give in to it. Lasciviousness. It means without moral Restraint, sensuality, indulgence, excess, indecency. So we do not want to be people 
who are full of excess and sensuality and indecent lives. Idolatry. Giving your life for the service of one thing above God. Witchcraft. Anything to do with magic, necromancy, diviners. We read Deuteronomy 18 this morning. Anything of that world is of the devil and we don't anything to do with witchcraft or wizardry and those things. Hatred. It means enmity, hostility, an inner disposition against other people. So we do not want to have hatred, enmity, hostility against other people. That's the work of the flesh. Variance. Variance means strife and debate, quarrelsome, rivalry. So we don't want to have a quarrelsome, argumentative spirit and we don't want to let that uh, come out in our speech or in our actions. Emulations. Emulations means someone fervent of spirit. Someone who's extreme, zealous, without wisdom. Someone whose emotions are charged up. We don't want to be people like that. Wrath. uh, Moved by anger. So we don't want to be people who are quick to anger and quick to be provoked and quick to attack and quick to lash out. Strife. Literally it means electioneering. Uh, It means self-seeking, ambition, looking for power, authority and places of position. So we don't know we like that. That's not to say, for example, I'm doing well at my job, uh, there's a promotion available, I'm such a sinner if I desire promotion. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who is doing things and saying things so they become in places of prominence for the wrong reasons. Seditions. Strife. Uh, Sedition means uh, disunity, dissensions, division, division, schism. Heresies. Heresy means uh, to separate yourself from other people that can be by doctrine or um, uh, theological error, all these things. Envyings, being jealous of other people. Murder, uh, doing violence to people, wanting to hurt people's reputations, uh, mocking people, making people feel little. Drunkenness, uh, having alcohol control you. Revilings, revilings are drinking parties. Uh, So going to places where it's uh, controlled for the manifestation of excess, without boundaries, without inhibitions, uh, drunken parties is the most literal way we can do that. So these things are of the flesh. We want nothing to do with them. We don't want to think like these things. We don't want to speak like these things. We don't want to act like any of these things. We don't want to make excuses to have any of these things in our lives. These are of the flesh. And if anything in our thought, word or deed are saying doing these things, we're giving in to the flesh. 
And then we're led by the Spirit by doing the will of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And of course we'll expound that in that series. And the last part of being led by the Spirit is verse 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections of the lust. You're going to have passions and desires to do the works of the flesh. And what we need to do is to be led by the Spirit is to kill these desires. Romans 8, if ye through the Spirit mortify. So we want to kill the desires and the longings and the thinking and the practice of the works of the flesh. And we want to more and more and more live in the fruit of the Spirit. Fifth and final principle, promise. Is there not an implicit promise in this chapter that every Christian will bear fruit? You will bear fruit. There's your encouragement. And you know the end from the beginning. What's the beginning? God the Father has promised every spiritual blessing and that we will be holy and blameless. What's the end? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 that Jesus Christ loved the church gave himself for the church he's washing and cleansing the church so that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish therefore he who begins the work in you shall complete it and therefore these five principles of Christian experience in bearing fruit remember them think about them and apply them so that every time we come to one of the fruits this is our experience and we are growing in the fruit next time we'll begin with love let us pray our father in heaven Oh, how we bless thee for all the promises of fruitfulness. That in Christ they are purchased and they are the fountain by union with him. Oh, how we rejoice in the fellowship of the Spirit. That he has come to our soul like a garden. And thou hast promised to bear fruit. Help us in the liberty. Help us in the duty. Help us in the conflict. Help us to be led by the Spirit and help us with the promises. And may thy children, O Lord, be fruitful trees. In Christ we pray. Amen.